0: Today, we're talking with Malcolm Netburn. Malcolm has served in a number of critical roles, including as the chairman and CEO of CDS Global, a subsidiary of Hearst Media, for over 15 years. He also served as CTO at Scholastic, publishing director at the Christian Science Monitor, and CEO and chairman at Chemical Week Associates. He had a lot to share about what he's learned along the way. From the importance of finding people you can learn from, to the necessity of creating balance between planning and staying open to unexpected opportunities. I hope you'll find something here to support you on your journey, as Malcolm shares what he'd tell himself from where he is today. Welcome to I'd Tell Myself, where we dive into the individual journeys people have taken to professional success, and share some of the lessons that they've learned along the way. I'm your host, Danielle Frankel. I've long believed that there are many ways to learn the important lessons in life. And while some lessons are only gained through personal experience, others can be learned less painfully from those ahead of us on their own journey. I hope you'll find something here to support you as we ask these individuals what they tell themselves from where they now sit. Welcome and thanks for joining us. All right. Welcome, welcome. We'll dive in with a couple of Fast facts, right? So, who are you? What's the pinnacle job that we're having a chat about today? (laughs) Tell me a little bit.
1: Sure. Well, it's it's Malcolm Netburn here. And, you know, pinnacle jobs are always funny to define because it it depends on how you define pinnacle. But, in sort of the prism of the business world, my pinnacle job was having been appointed the chief executive officer and chairman of a $150 million wholly owned subsidiary of a 12 billion dollar company called Hearst. And
0: small so company. A couple of people might have heard of it. Small
1: company. I was, so I was one of the executives sitting under the very diversified company of Hearst, where we had my division or my company that I ran had 3,000 employees. We were in 16 locations. We were international. And uh, one of the fascinating things about that job, we'll speak later about kind of how a serendipitous path made me good for that job was that probably 500 people were what would I define as punched a clock. So you might call these are like distribution warehouse workers. And then 400 people were high end technology people making bundles of money, some of them almost as much as I made, or not quite. I once said that at a sort of leadership training group. And I just said, I just treat all work as equal, which I do. I think that's something I Learned from my mother actually that the bus driver is just as important as the president of a big auto company. And any question is a fair question. And one of the more direct people said, Well, since any question is a fair question, how much do you make?
0: I mean, fair. Yeah. You open the door.
1: (laughs) Did so you all, answer the question? You no, know, it's not. Yeah, any question is a good question except for a few. <laughs> we'll take
0: that one. We'll take that one off the side,
1: shall we? Louise became, you know, a, a wonderful, incredible employee, who actually ended up at, years, years later, kind of at a high-level technology position in Amazon. So, so there's a lesson for you, right? Which is questioning is a good thing. Just you might not want to ask the people you report to. Exactly
0: how many dollars they make. (laughs) Okay, so you ran this huge uh, company. Is that the job that you thought you wanted? at that where you were headed? It wasn't
1: the job I thought I wanted at 56. (laughs) So so the the answer is yes and no, like a lot of answers, right? You know, I had a friend recently who says, I spend a lot of time now in the gray area. Somebody who's lived a very long and rich life meaning what was black and white at 21 what was pretty much black and white at 41 is ever grayer right even truth is complicated so so the answer is yes and no so I'll start with yes in that I've always felt for a long time that part of my role in life you know was to provide, guidance of some sort or teaching of some sort so you can say that being having the privilege to be the CEO with 3,000 people very diverse uh, in terms of education and, and and ambition even played to that hope I had had that I would be in a sort of teaching mode if you will and also you know sort of this characteristic that I think I did learn from, really from my mother, that everybody's doing the best they can. And some people are luckier than others, and some people get better education or not than others. And But there's more similarities and difference. And, you know, that the idea of being in a corner office secluded from people is anathema to me. And so I had that privilege to be in a company that allowed me to do that. On the other side, I started off as a literature major. And if I could parenthetically say that people say, well, how did you start off as a literature major in American modern poetry, for that matter? So even more kind of non-usable, certainly not STEM, right? You know, how did you get from there to where you were? And I would say a couple things about that just to kind of... uh, speaking of the serendipitous, maybe long way around to how I ended up as CEO, which is I did get a love for, for lifetime learning. And I'll say that looking back at my fairly diverse career, that what gave me opportunities along the way is that I was always looking to learn more, whether it was about uh, industry, about leadership, about training, about strategy. And so when opportunities came my way, I was fairly well-versed because I had learned the art or the love of lifetime learning. And the other thing that you'll realize, will well, re- you know, that when you, even with email and texting, is that so much of what you do at a leadership role is going to be, organizing your thoughts and being able to communicate them to others and we can do that verbally we can do that through video whatever form you can do it learning the art of communicating learning what it means to say something in the shortest number of words with the greatest number of not just impact but understanding you know allowed me in moments of my career where I had no idea where I was heading but when an opportunity came up that openness to being able to communicate clearly how I might help a company or what I might do in the future or how I might work with employees was pretty important.
0: Yeah, that's such a great point. I mean, you know, like you said, it's not like you went to school for your MBA, right? Specifically, like you you were in a very non-business oriented area of study.
1: Yeah. I'd like to give you two examples of where this path, I have some children whose paths were very clear from early ages, and they certainly didn't inherit that from me. But I'll give you two examples where the path for me was, and I sometimes characterize it as seeing some luck and knowing what to do with it. So what do I mean by that? So I was realized I probably was not gonna be a professor of American poetry or an American poet. I got married at a very young age and of course one realizes oh yeah there's rent to pay and you know school is over and and we had children at a fairly young age as well so i just had to take a job and i'm so proud of the job it was nine thousand seven hundred dollars was the salary and my wife and i felt we were rich what
0: uh, what just for context setting what year would roughly was that
1: yeah so that was roughly in 1973
0: what was the job
1: yeah so that job was working in an industrial plant as an accounting clerk because in in a temporary role because the accounting manager had taken ill i gather and was going to be out for three months and so this was through an accounting agency i just i got to make some money
0: Numbers were clearly your thing as a poet. Oh, yeah, clearly maker. my thing,
1: reading Robert Frost and early American poets. Uh, here I am, sort of, and it sounds funny, but so I, I get the job. It's in this industrial area. It's, it's uh, all blue collar work, warehousing and distribution work. And it turns out that the job was was being advertised, the full-time role. And it turned out that for some reason, the phone calls were coming to my extension. So people were calling, Is a job available. I said, well, it might be, it's, it's kind of available, but why don't you call back in a couple of weeks and because I realized after several weeks that I actually could do this job. And I liked things about it that I would never, I mean, if you had given me a list of a hundred places to work, it would not be on that list. Just wouldn't be there. And this story is going to get replicated when I became CEO, just at a different le- level. It's the exact same story, actually. Maybe I was People. a little more honest in the same way. Um,
0: I hope you were a little more honest by the time you were CEO. Yeah, I didn't mean,
1: yeah. discourage anybody. I just said, you know, they're kind of figuring it out when, and they're not in. So call back. And the chief financial officer of this company, who I had actually gotten to know in the short period, and who eventually became one of my key mentors, an amazing person. And it's another thing to always, you know, when you see somebody you can learn from, get there. And Marty Schwartz was one of those people. So, somewhere in the conversation, like about a month into this role, I said, How are you making out with the resumes that are coming in? And he said, Well, a few are coming in, but there's nothing like really piqued our interest yet. And I said, Well, what about me? And he, and he said, well, you've never taken an accounting course, right? You never took a business course. But we've seen something actually in your work. I was, what, 23 at the time. We see something in your work that, you know what? I think you could do the job. And that job eventually I became the assistant plant manager and and really propelled me to a whole set of career moves, again, in the same fashion. I'm going to fast forward to at the age of 56 when I was asked to be the CEO. So I had been consulting to Hearst, and a new person came in at a very high level, saw one of my consulting reports. Wait,
0: I'm going to pause you for just a second, because I I need some bridge to get me from you are an assistant plant manager to you right. consulting to hearst because those are different universes right? right different levels different industries different yes. what were you consulting to hearst about and what qualified you to do that work
1: yes so let me go back to let me go back a little bit because i think it's the bridge
0: we bridge. <laughs> the well <the> bridge
1: <laughs> you'll have many bridges on your path hopefully the more bridges yeah. you have the more opportunities you're likely to experience I'm going to skip. So I I had that job. I I then got recruited for a job actually at the National Wildlife Federation, interest I had around environmental issues in in a very operational role. And after being there for two years, I got what in retrospect is sort of the classic call of somebody said, I'm looking to hire for a large medical publisher, a vice president of operations, and I was wondering if you might know of anybody, and what I've learned many years later is the classic answer to that is, please let me go shut the door, (laughs) right, and after being this naive young guy for about an hour on the phone saying, oh yeah, that job, I I can think of some people you might want to be in touch with, and he kept probing. And then at some point I said, it's funny, what you're describing would be something I could actually do. And he said, oh, really? And so, that so, began in- he
0: said, oh, so he
1: said, oh, really? It was a German extract. And so I can still remember like it is today. Oh, really? You really think this might be something for you? Well, for 12 years, he and I became partners. What happened is, after six months, I didn't get the job that he was recruiting for, but he said to me after that, after he, his client said, you know what, he's too young, but I still don't know today what it was that I'd actually been given, it made an offer, and then the offer got kind of retracted because it was by a, a, another senior person, and he said, you know what, I think they're crazy, but since you're thinking about leaving where you are, how would you like to come to the consulting firm that I worked for. I've gotten to know you well. I think you're great. And that began a career that lasted over 25 years as a management consultant in three different positions. The last one as the owner of a quite a successful boutique consulting firm. So that brings me to consulting to Hearst.
0: Yes. Okay. So now we've built a bridge. I see.
1: So I'm consulting to Hearst, new person comes in, and I get this phone call from John Laughlin, senior vice president. Says, I've read your report. I'd like to have lunch with you. I didn't even know him. So have lunch. And he says, It's almost like you saw everything I was concerned about with this division. The leadership is innovative, they're behind in their technology builds. Um, they've been very successful, but it looks like they're riding on their success. I'd like to engage you as a consultant to participate at a deeper level than your initial report. So I said, fine, that's what I was doing for a living I have to help out. And he called me, he said, I'll get back to you, he calls me two weeks later, says, Can you come into my office, the Hearst Tower? So they go into the gorgeous. 45-story tower in New York City, all glass and steel. And he says, you know, I've been thinking about it. We'd like you to spend a year full-time helping to basically revitalize that company and on a consulting assignment. But we'd like to buy your time if you will full-time, and we'll pay you handsomely for that. i had actually done that Three times before in my career, and I for different places. And I said, You know what? It's interesting, but I'm really at a consulting company. If you want me full time, I can't do, I can't work on other projects. So he said, I understand that. We'll figure out what to do. We'll pay you six months after. That'll give you a chance to reintegrate. And I said, You know, uh, interesting, but I, I just don't, at this stage, I really want to continue to build the consulting practice. And then he says, you know what? We, you, I know you also do some high level executive search work. Well, we know that the CEO isn't going to make it through this process. We'll give you the the assignment to hire the replacement that probably had been valued at, you know, some, and he, he threw out a huge number for the search. And then, and this is sort of the serendipity. I looked at him, I'll never forget him in his office or in the 43rd floor of this building. And he said, you know, you could do that, but the person best qualified in this country to run that company is me. And he said, really? And I don't know this day whether it was like that early story where the person was hoping eventually that I would get. That conversation was about, are you interested, not about, do you know somebody interested? I don't think it was. I think it was just, I said what was true. And I said it really without thinking very much. So, when you think about the way people plan and really measure each step they make in their career path, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong about that, except that sometimes it can take your eye off the ball of what's really important. And in that moment, he said, Well, we talk about that. And we did. And a week later, I was appointed the CEO and chairman of this $150 million company.
0: Hey, if you're enjoying the show, please make sure to subscribe and join our community at itellmyself.com for updates and info. That's itellmyself.com. Okay, back to the show. But I thought you wanted to run your consulting firm. Now I'm just confused. What happened? (laughs) Well. What happened in that office in that moment where he was and trying it, well, to convince yeah, so,
1: you? Yeah, so what happened, I think, is what happens. Uh, a lot of times we don't give our our own selves enough credit for that we're processing, even without sort of consciously thinking about something. We're all so self-directed in so many ways. I know so many young people like they've got they've got reams of like plans and steps that they're going to take, and I won't say it's out of insecurity, but I think we all just don't necessarily trust ourselves, that our being, our, our brains, our emotions are working and are assimilating kind of a, a situation as it's happening. And, and so what was assimilating there? I mean, I, I, you know, what was assimilating is that it was a company that had an opportunity to do great things and was already doing good things. It was a company that didn't need somebody with a huge amount of technical expertise. What it, what it needed was somebody who was gonna provide leadership about how we grow our future and how we change who we are and how we build relationships with other industries. It was a company, again, I can't say that I wrote this all down. But it was a company that I knew had a great reputation. It was a company that I knew was, you know, Hearst is a 125 year old company. It's a company that rewards its all its people and doesn't believe in kind of the fast turnover, likes people to stay a long time, believes that there's value in that kind of experience. And so all those things, and I'm even reluctant to say that they were like check marks on a document, but- Doesn't
0: sound like they were. It sounds no, like there was it, just it, some internal math happening and Yes, yeah,
1: a lot of internal math, and I think if all of us allowed for, I like that term, internal math to do its work, and not to some degree straitjacket it into kind of the highly defined path. When you're on a path, it's sometimes hard to see outside the lines of that path. And one thing that my experience, my my very unplanned career path, taught me is that a lot of the opportunities are outside those lines. And if you can be open to them and aware of them, you have it doesn't say that you don't need to learn and to train. And it's not a, again, it's not a black and white. But if we were had more balance in being able to trust in our instincts and see an opportunity and say, what could this become? I think that more opportunities would open up for people. And I know a lot of people who are straight-tracked into very successful jobs because they were so directed towards it. They geared everything towards it. Then they finally got it, right? And they found out that in terms of their, their emotional or other work-life satisfaction, they were like in a straight jacket And it was very hard for them to get out of it because that's sort of what they knew and didn't know how to do much else.
0: Yeah. I love what you're pointing to because it's, you know, I've worked with a lot of students in the last decade or so, and I think there's a balance to what you're pointing to, right? So it's a lot of people create these plans and these roadmaps of where they want to go. And to some degree it's, you know, there may be some insecurity at play, but I think there's also a function of people just looking for a sense of control in their lives, right? Things are so uncertain in so many ways. There are so many factors that are out of our control. If you're finishing school, whether that's high school or college or grad school or uh, wherever it is that you, you end that piece of the journey, right, figuring out what the path looks like, there are so many different ways that could go. And so putting together a plan allows people, I think, to feel a greater sense of control or at least gives them a sense of direction about what they should do next. Because I think the other piece of that is that you're right, sometimes things just have to fall into place at the right time and you have to be open to that. And so how do you balance both being as prepared as you can be, being aware of the possibilities or the path that you might take without closing yourself down to the opportunities and the, the moments that pop where things could completely change. And if you're open to it, it, it could be a great change.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. When I dug into the company and I did have a consultant's perspective, even as a CEO, I realized just how deep some of the culture was in terms of limit, limiting it, that company. They're they, they were on a very prescribed path and very afraid of doing anything else other than what had driven. So their success really became now their risk in, to a degree. And one of the things that I would tell employees is, guys, just so you know, we're on a path. where We're getting close to a cliff, right? And no matter what we do, we're going to fall off that cliff because everything comfortable is before that cliff, but the, the direction of industry, the, the changes that are going on with technology, we're gonna fall off that cliff. So there's two things that we need to do. One is let's prepare. So when we fall off, not if, we will have a parachute, <laughs> right? We will have a soft landing. We will not get snagged and hit by rocks along the way. We have a good chance of surviving, but we're gonna be willing this is the part we're going to be willing to take that step and go off that cliff because only when we do that will we really have the opportunity to see our opportunity to see our future as limitless as opposed to confined to just what we have done successfully to date and so it's uh, similar to what you said about it it doesn't this sort of emphasis that you may be hearing from me Based on my own career path of of not being too constrained by the plan and being open to what you could call luck, opportunity, seeing it, and then what, you, and then making something of it, doesn't in any way negate that you that planning is fine and training is great. I have, I have two daughters who are scientists. They, they they wouldn't be scientists if they didn't. And seven years in a PhD programs and, or medical school, but not to it be sort of the overarching way in which you might be looking at your career path.
0: I think that's a, it's a great balance. And I love the sort of imagery of knowing that you're going to go over the cliff and also acknowledging that over the cliff is where the future is. And if you spend all of your time trying not to go over the cliff, you've you scripted your own ending one way or the other. That's right, it. That's right, all that's right, possible. Right. And so, Yeah, that's great. Speaking of going over cliffs, I'm curious. One of the things that I have found fascinating in some of these conversations is hearing about some mistakes and some lessons learned that people have gathered along the way. I have long been a believer that we all gather scars, right? We all learn lessons. We gather scars in the work that we do. And it is not true that you must gather every scar by yourself. Sometimes working with a great team of people people with more experience than you, right? They can teach you some of the lessons that they learned without you having to do it in the most painful way possible. So I'm curious if there's anything that you can think of, spots in your career where you just made a huge mistake that you're willing to share with us and what you gained from that, right? Because i much like the cliff, right? I think those moments, right? If it's not actually the end of your career, you gain something from the experience.
1: Yes, I am... 25 years old hotshot consultant in this new consulting firm that I joined I think I know it all at a executive at a meeting providing our final report to a very important client and I had done a lot of the work on it and the senior partner of the consulting firm who was with me who was 18 years my senior so been in this quite a while, said, you know what, you can take the lead on presenting the report to the six executives of this company. So I'm mayor and my best blue suit and red tie, regimental striped tie, as I remember, and uh, very confident. And I'm giving this report. And all of a sudden, the CEO says, could you stop a minute? He says, I disagree very strongly with those last three recommendations that you're making. I don't think that they are correct for our organization. And so being a hotshot consultant, I say, well, let me explain those three because they're actually critical in our view to the success of your company. And I start to engage with him on why he's wrong and how I'm going to prove to him that he's wrong by digging deep into these three recommendations. And I'm clearly not reading the room because not only am I seeing him unhappy, but I'm also seeing the other five executives looking around like what's going on here, right? And my senior partner of the consulting firm takes a little piece of paper like this and he puts it as nonchalantly as he can in front of me. And I sort of open it up while somebody else is talking and it says, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, Edmund Burke. And I look at that, and then he looks at the CEO. He said, by the way, could we take a like a 10-minute break here just to sort of step back a bit? And my senior partner goes out into the hallway and says, don't ever do that again. You're right and you're wrong. I think he used another expression as I recall he was a man of many expressions he said the what you're going to find here is the operation was a success and the patient died you're right but you're wrong if we are unable to show in a certain way and he says you just you can never do that again it's you you're not helping anybody when they are and that has stuck with me I mean I I think of that, I I remember the feeling I had, the crushed feeling. It it still waves back even as I'm speaking here about it. Mm -hmm. I had another one that was similar. This was to a very large organization called Ziff Davis, huge in the computer media industry. Very strange executive there, but brilliant. We're in his office, I'm like maybe 28 now, Learned some lessons, but obviously I was going
0: to say, whole, have you learned your lesson there? <laughs> not
1: all my lessons. So again, I had written most of this report at that point. So it was, it was for me to deliver. We had like five of us, five consultants in the room. It was just him, just Larry Sporn. And I'm going through a deck that's probably 70 pages. And he was not a 70-page deck person. And he said, can you just summarize this thing for me? I mean, I, I just do not need to go. Through all of this, your methodology, your approach, your research, how you got to your conclusions, what your conclusions are, and expounding more on those conclusions. And I said, I think we called him Mr. Sporn. I said, Mr. Sporn, it's really important that you see the process, that if you understand, like, how we got to where we are. Because if you don't, that the recommendations in a void might not make as much sense as we we believe that they are. And he said, well, what I'm telling you is I want you to summarize this very quickly for me. And I made the mistake of saying, I just don't think I can do that. And before I knew it, this man was actually very light on his feet. He was like a cat. He got up. He was sitting like 15 feet away from us, sort of in a dark corner of his office. He was a strange person. He took this deck out of my hands and he ripped it in half And I still can remember, like it's yesterday, the pieces of paper floating down onto his floor. And he said, now will you summarize it for me? And that lesson has always, it's the same lesson that has always stuck with me, that working is always a partnership. And if you sort of treat it as a one-way street, and you think you're the smartest person in the room, and you think you have more to say than other people, and you're not intensely listening, then you're going to be less effective and it will slow down your career. And it isn't a of compromising what you believe in, it's a matter of making sure that what you believe in, you're able to actually show how it can be implemented in a way that works for people who might be above you, people who you are interviewing with, or people who are working for you. So those were like life-changing experiences. So. Those
0: are such great examples. They're so rich, and thank you for sharing them. I, I think it's, I find it fascinating because early on you said you always felt that you wanted to be in a position where you could teach or influence or support others in their growth and development. And And each of those lessons teaches you something really critically important, right, about how to actually do that kind of work in a meaningful way, right? The importance of listening, regardless of who's sitting across the table, right? People tell you what they need. They either do it directly, right, summarize this for me, or they do it in a slightly more indirect way. I don't agree. And there's question in there. Mm-hmm. right? There's space to fight back or there's space to get curious and, and inquire with them about what's happening for them. What's their experience of this? What's their concern? What's going on? And it's also amazing because both of those examples are obviously from the beginning of your career and they clearly stuck with you. They
1: clearly, they clearly stuck. Yeah. They, they clearly stuck. at has some leadership roles in civic environments and they stick there too like I, I i'll I'll hear something as a basically a councilman currently where I, the, the mayor assumes and i think Does it doesn't make sense i understand where he's coming from and i realize wait a second the answer is not to call him out about that the answer is to help him see that there might be another way to kind of go about a particular issue or problem and and so those difficult and I'll give you I'll give you one more, which is very different. And you know, I, I I've over the years I've developed like what I call ten leadership principles that I I teach a lot on. When, and, and so I think this sort of fits in in one of them, uh, which is that a person that I ended up reporting to at sort of at the to the Hearst Company, very different than me. I did a lot of team building, a lot of consensus decision making, and he was very different than that uh and not fairly early on and i was the ceo for 15 years but i would say maybe in the second year it was he wanted to come up and and have me do like a overall status review and so i spoke a lot about the way i was incentivizing employees based really on group success and he stopped me and he said you know let me tell you how I incentivize other people who report to me and some of the other teams that I have. I incentivize on who individually created the most value. And even if that means having healthy competition amongst people, I'm good with that. And I guess you could say it was something from what I learned earlier. I was about to sort of move into, well, I think that's a older style way of managing and then I fortunately, there were other people in the room who reported to me, and I could see their body language. Me was, you know, not worth fighting over. Like you're gonna, you could still have. We were relatively independent anyway. You didn't need. You don't need to like take on the this sort of philosophic issue about how you reward people. And it was, and I realized. You know, so what I could do is sprinkle that in, you know, again without not compromising my my belief system in my reports about, but not make it as the showcase. Because if you don't put yourself in somebody else's shoes, it's like my first principle of leadership, that at some point you have to take out your own ego and replace it. I used to say, replace it with someone else's. See what the other side of the desk is thinking about. What's their concerns? What are they looking for in a candidate? As opposed to, let's say, what you want to push forward as the candidate, what they're looking for as a, an employee equal to what you want to push forward as an employee. And so that was that was another example of if you believe in team, then you have to believe that not everybody on the team has the same philosophy you have. Right? It's easy to be easy to like agree on team when everybody's on board with what you want. Not so easy to be on team when they're not. So the question is how do you kind of how do you still be successful in executing your talents in that case. And that's something I learned from that experience. You don't have to shove it in his face. You don't have to make it sound like his reward system is ineffective. It's It was effective in some ways. He was a very successful executive. It was different.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm curious, you clearly jumped. And we sort of jumped over some of the middle, but mm-hmm. you clearly jumped from the sort of very independent role early on into an oversight position, into a consulting position, into these significant leadership positions. And I, I'm wondering how you learned to be a manager and how you learned to be a leader in those spaces. It's not something that you studied at school necessarily. Right. It doesn't sound like, right? So How did you learn sort of the big lessons and get to the point where you've got your own 10 leadership principles? Because that's a a big leap.
1: Well, the really serendipitous path that I took to consulting, life would have been very different for me if the Dutch parent company of the company that I had applied to and and had hired me said, you know what, the parent company just doesn't feel right about this hire. So we're going to We're not going to retract the offer, but it would be a mistake for you to take it because you'll get caught in a lot of crossfire. But if I had been the vice president of operations for this large medical publishing company, my path would have been very different. And so, the consulting again, we all and we all do this. We all try to I won't say build our own story or even justify where we were before we got to where we're going, but the one thing about consulting is that it exposed me to a very large number of leadership models, as many bad as good. And it allowed me to kind of cull from those years of consulting a, a kind of set of my own principles derived from that. from that. And when I look at some of these principles that I teach about, enduring values win. I think everybody was wondering, how much do they have to compromise when they get into a new role. And I'm saying, don't compromise your values. It never works. It never, ever works. But I said, but don't wear it on your sleeve. You don't have to be, here's what I believe in. You know, that that was my problem with, a little bit with these early experiences. I'm going to like wear my values on my sleeve. And as opposed to just, I mean, I, I wear it in your heart, perform out of that value system. But, you know, you don't need to be proselytizing it, announcing it, declaring it, pushing it on other people. Let the value speak for itself. And I would say that I learned some of these basic principles in the variety of jobs that I had along the way from that accounting job at the age of 23 to the CEO at the age of 57. And I was able to exercise those learnings The other thing I learned is that I think great leaders learn, they they lead by example. That's a little thing, but in a nonprofit world, when we had board meetings, I was the first to be there to make the, I was the chairman of this nonprofit. I was the first person to be there to make the coffee. And often more times than not on these board meetings, I was the last person cleaning up so that the cleaning people who came in the morning, didn't find a kind of messy room. It was no big deal, but it made a difference to people to see that, oh, you're not defining your role by what other people think it is, the chairman of this nonprofit, the CEO of this big company. You're defining your role by what I learned by seeing a lot of people work, is that all work is equal, just we have different work. And we get different pay. I say that every time, we do get different pay, but it doesn't mean that one person's work is any less honorable than another's or valuable than another's. And so I think that over time, if you maintain a sort of a lifetime learning approach, you start to absorb these things. The other thing that I think is really important, I haven't talked to other executives about this, but the way I put it is, Bring your work home and bring your home to work. I, I don't really believe that you work and then you forget about it and you go home and it's you don't need to, or that you're at home you have one set of values with your family or your friends, and then at work I got to be cutthroat and I got to step on people, and I'm totally different at work than I am at home. And, and I think that that's another thing that I think has sort of helped me evolve my leadership skills is to say, what would I do? I mean, here's how I'm at home. Why wouldn't I bring that to my work life? And if I'm not bringing it to my work life, how can I bring it to my work life? And the other thing is equally true because I think that if you believe, if your work is important, your mind is not going to turn off at five o'clock. It's okay to be in the shower in the morning thinking about work. If it's important, just like other things in your life are important, it deserves to be important wherever you are and whatever role you're in. And I think those are the things that I think sort of becoming CEO and having 14 years to be in that work prepared me without knowing it for a very complicated job, which one, I'm eternally grateful. And I think gratitude is also always nice to have along the way.
0: It's interesting. So much of sort of the lessons and the guidance that you point to are really about balance, balance in the relationships that you have, mm-hmm. balance in the relationship that you build within yourself between home and work, balance in how you plan versus staying open to opportunity. And that's fascinating because it's where you started the conversation, right? In terms of also being a lifelong learner, right? You're, you're telling me that you learned your leadership lessons by listening and by watching and by taking in and you started with your mom. Right, she's the one to tell you about the bus driver, which is great.
1: Yep. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think that if you can keep yourself open to ideas and experiences wherever you turn, you'll be. I think every you're better off for it. And and some of those things aren't are, are things you're not going to agree with. Many of them will be.
0: You learn as well equally what not to do by watching. Yeah, or you learn about things that
1: don't even fit within your value system, but something may come up in your work where a group of people or an individual or another company or a competitor is behaving in something that isn't in your value system, but you've been open to it. So you can at least understand where that's coming from. I uh, felt that the, I have a strong belief that it's very important in any any role really working to, to always keep in touch with like what's happening in our greater society so that you see what the trends are because i don't care what industry or business you're in the trends of the time are going to affect in some way what you're doing and whether that's the larger trends of the move to technology or now ai or or uh, or purchasing trends or shopping trends or it's important to like stay abreast of that because they will have a bigger impact on your job than you think, and 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 also in being prepared for the future. So, I think sort of that openness, coupled with being true to your value system, coupled with balance. I would, if I look back, I'm back to consulting now, so I I, I got a little bit of perspective on the the uh, operational leadership role. I think those are some of the mixes for a formula for my success.
0: Well, that's awesome. I appreciate you taking the time to share all of this. Last question for you. You've shared a lot of really great lessons and things that you've learned along the way. If there was any one thing, if you could go back to your 23-year-old self from where you are now, right? Is there any one thing you tell yourself that you haven't covered here? <laughs>
1: I mean, the thing that comes to mind is to do things with a lightness. I took a lot of things unbelievably serious. Just the world was either coming to an end or the world was just beginning in terms of a, a victory, but way too serious and not with enough good humor. I, I think that I think we all get caught up in different times of our career, the beginning, the middle, Towards the end, you you picked your spot where we just, we take it all too seriously. And the other thing is that I've never seen long-term success from doing something at the expense of somebody else's feelings. There's, there's, There's no reward worth intentionally or not being really careful about not hurting somebody along the way. And I've seen a lot of that in my career it's it's the pressure of getting ahead, the pressure of getting the next job, the pressure of looking better than somebody else in school and graduate school. and um, but when I look at the people who've sort of done that, I think that their success was limited because eventually, yeah, maybe I guess I would put that in a case of like nice guys often finish first. Nice people often finish first. Stories you hear are often not the ones that maybe get into the press or the books. But if you look across the spectrum of most fields and industries, you'll see many more people where the person had that enduring value and got them to a place where they met their own dream, their own hopes for a productive and meaningful work life.
0: Well, I love that. That's reassuring to hear, certainly, because it's not the set of stories that get sensationalized, but you've been in a position to see enough of that, that I believe that's your experience, which is great. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, good luck with all of this and we'll catch up soon.
0: That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the show and found something to support you wherever you are on your own journey. Don't forget to subscribe where you listen to your podcasts and head over to itellmyself.com to sign up for updates. Until next time, take care.